Praise the Lord. Good morning. This morning, um, we're going to be studying in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. It says, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard and had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. They also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose name have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. And Lord, I ask that you would give us ears to hear, Lord God. Your intention was that we hear it. Lord, and we're prepared, and uh, we understand what's going on around us, Lord. And today I ask that you would put your anointing upon this message, make it simple, make it easy to understand, Lord, and uh, help us respond, Lord. In your name I pray. Everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Last week, um, as I was preaching my message, I preached a message from Psalms chapter 2. And in that message, David is speaking to um, events that would happen a thousand years after his life. He was prophesying the life of the Messiah. It's a messianic psalm. And in that psalm, he actually details the uh, uprising, the uh, the uh, plans that would be made to crucify uh, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as he prophesies that, he um, he laments, why are the uh, nations so angry? Why do they plot against uh, God's anointed one? Why do they make plans in vain? And um, it talks about the hatred that would be around him on that day. And it continues on, and it talks about the eventual uh, reign of Jesus Christ on the earth, over all the nations of the earth, he'll rule and he'll reign. And it mentions that he will rule with a rod of iron. And the Bible also mentions that in that day it will be a righteous rule and no wicked will be allowed uh, in that kingdom. And as I was stressing that point, uh, because we have all sinned and we have all come short of the glory of God, I read a passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. 
And uh, as I read this passage last week at uh, 53 minutes and 50 seconds, I was um, disappointed to see that YouTube uh, censored my message, which I was very surprised. In fact, that whole segment of that scripture, not my opinion, but the scripture was cut out by YouTube. And um, so be aware that uh, we are not allowed to preach the word of God completely on YouTube. And this may actually get me kicked off YouTube, I don't know. But that scripture was 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 that says, Don't you know that the wicked people will not inherit the kingdom of God? Stop deceiving yourselves, people who continue to commit sexual sins, who worship false gods, those who commit adultery, homosexuals or thieves, or those who are greedy or drunk, those who use abusive language or who rob people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. That's what some of you were. I suspect that is the part that bothered some people. That we were all some of those things and God changed every one of those people that are on that list and they are no longer that way. It's as such were some of you, but you were washed and made holy. You received God's approval in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Today I want to talk about the other kingdom. There is a kingdom that Jesus Christ will come to this world and establish, but one fact about the Bible is that there is another coming kingdom that will inevitably come to this earth, and it will come to this earth right before the Messiah takes his throne. And so today I want to talk about that kingdom. It's called the Antichrist kingdom. And it's the coming kingdom, and we begin to see in our society, in fact, there is a tension that is very noticeable in the air. And that tension is the plans of the globalists. And the plans of the globalists, you can see that two kingdoms are on a collision course. In fact, it's a clash of two kingdoms that's been prophesied starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and it follows through the entire Bible, and it culminates in a generation that we may currently live in. And as you begin to look at the signs of this emerging kingdom, understand that this kingdom is as sure as the kingdom that Jesus Christ will establish at the very end of this Antichrist kingdom. In fact, the Bible says in Daniel that there will be a stone and that stone will shatter the Antichrist kingdom, and, his, and, and that stone will become a mountain that will cover the entire earth. And so the Bible prophesies this kingdom, uh, and it says that it will come before the kingdom of the Messiah. So today I want to talk about that kingdom. Now with this sermon, I hope to give insights into the biblical ideas that seem to intersect with the current events you read in your newspaper. And some of these events seem to fulfill heavy prophecies. It's my desire that if you know these things, you will be fully prepared to escape and or overcome through Jesus Christ the things that are coming on the earth. How many know that God did not leave us without instructions? God knew that this world, this uh, kingdom of the Antichrist would come and he didn't leave us without. Now as I get into this message, it may seem 
like I'm a little bit into conspiracy theories. And I am not. I am one person that usually will never be a conspiracy theorist. But one thing that I do is when you look at the reality of a situation, which the Bible prophesies, and then those who are globalists come out and actually state their plans, and you see that those plans line up with the Antichrist kingdom in the book of Revelation, you can't do anything but recognize that that is the plans of the wicked. And so as I begin to look at this, one of the things that I find very interesting is imagine you're in 1924. And in 1924, there was a young man by the name of Adolf Hitler. And he wrote a book called Mein Kampf. And in that book, he detailed his plans and his strategies for world conquest. And in 1929, not very many people took that book very serious. It was, in fact, an unknown um, literary work. And in 1924, it wasn't taken serious, but in September of 1939 was the beginning of World War II. Had they taken his writing seriously, maybe we don't have World War II. And it was written 15 years before he actually implemented his ideas. And so today I'm going to do something a little bit different because of the fact that we anticipate a coming Antichrist kingdom And we see many things around us that seem to fit the bill for an Antichrist kingdom. I'm going to make you aware of some of the things that are being plotted and planned in our day. And what's actually holding back the Antichrist from completely implementing his kingdom in this day. So we're going to start off with a place in the Bible. And then I'm going to move forward toward current events. So in the Bible we have Genesis chapter 11. And this is called the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is a foundation of biblical prophecy. And so if we go to Genesis chapter 11, it's taking me a while to get there. It says, now the whole world, now how much of the world is in this picture? The whole world. They had what? One language. That means that there were no other languages in the whole world. There was one language. The whole world had one language and a common speech. Men moved, as men moved eastward and found a plain in Shiner, this is in Babylon, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that they were building. The Lord said, it is one people speaking the same language. They have begun to do this then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them over all the earth and they stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel. 
because there was the, the Lord confused their language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, up until this moment, it's very important to understand, there were no nations in the world. There was one nation, one language, and the people gathered together under one king. And that king was uh, Nimrod. And so this is very important to understand because it's the foundation of biblical prophecy. Uh, the enemy, the Antichrist, um, has for the duration of the world tried to get back to this exact moment where he was the king over the entire world. Now what stopped this from happening is God confused their languages and they were forced to split off into nations. And as they split off into nations, we, we see the seed of Babylon infecting every nation of the world. It is not only a man that wanted to rule the entire world, but it also was nations being sent to the ends of the earth with the false religion of Babylon. And so every nation of the world was infected which what, with what is called the mother-son cult. There was a cult that worshipped a deity that included Nimrod and his mother, and every nation of the world began to worship false gods. And so this is the foundation of false religion. And so Satan, all through history, has attempted to replicate this in every generation. In every generation, he's tried to rule the world in one people under one ruler, and so we see this all through history that Satan is trying to replicate this. And the Bible says that that will not happen again until the last days. The last days, there will be amazing events that will occur that the nation will become one again. The nations of the world will come together and they will once again be under one ruler. And Revelation talks about that being the Antichrist kingdom. Now as we look at Revelation 13, we begin to see the emergence of this leader that is going to be that ruler. And we see from Revelation chapter 12 um, that the dragon several times in Revelation is identified as Satan himself. In fact, what we read is several parenthetical narratives that Revelation has. Revelation will give you a history of what's happening chronologically. Then Revelation will stop and give what's called a parenthetical narrative, meaning I'm going to explain to you background of these characters that are here. And so they stop and they say, okay, here's one character in Revelation, and he's called the dragon. And the dragon, several places in Revelation in these narratives, say that the dragon is that ancient serpent who is Satan. And then the Bible does another parenthetical narrative to explain another character, and his name is the beast. In fact, he's called the beast. He looks like a beast. He is a beast, um, and he has the appearance of a beast because he has the qualities of an animal that has no conscience. He's just a vile, vulgar, profane animal that does what he pleases and has no conscience like a brute animal. And so the beast rises, and you see Satan the dragon sitting on the shore in Revelation chapter 13, and it says that Satan made war in the heavens and was, um, he and a third of the angels were 
at war with Michael and were kicked out of heaven. And so in the vision that John sees in Revelation, he sees that dragon having been kicked out of heaven, and he sees him standing on a shore. And as he's on the shore, John sees a beast begin to rise out of the sea. And as the beast begins to rise out of the sea, this is the Antichrist. This is the one who boasts and brags. This is the one who is going to become the one world ruler of the entire world in the book of Revelation. And as he rises, you see the dragon, which is Satan, give power and authority to this beast. And as he gives his power and authority to this beast, it says that he has ten kings that will be united with him. And those ten kings will actually rule the entire world. And you say, wow, how could that ever possibly happen? And the purpose of my message today is to not clearly identify the ten kings, but to clearly identify that there are events in our world today that could easily come to pass to fulfill this. And so nobody is to say the day or the hour that the Lord will return because we don't know. But we are to be ready at all times for this event called the rapture that is going to take the church out of this world and and enter in the seven-year tribulation. So as we begin to look, I want to look at some foundations that have been laid in our generation that could possibly fulfill this coming Antichrist kingdom. One of the things I want to look at first is what's called the Humanist Manifesto of 1973. And this is a collection of humanists, and you say, well, who cares what a collection of humanists are doing at a meeting? But the problem is, when you look at the signatories of this meeting, it's the who's who of education. It's the who's who of political leaders. It's the um, it's a real collection of people that are agnostics, atheists, scientists, leaders of state, education leaders. In fact, there are leaders that I, most every Ivy League school is presented, most every Big Ten school is represented, most every Pac-10 school is represented, most SEC schools are represented. Most of academia is represented as signatories of this particular uh, document. But in 1973, they made a statement in their preamble, meaning what is the purpose of our meeting? And I'm going to give you some highlights of this meeting that everybody signed and agreed we're working toward the development of these ideas. You say, well, why do this? Why not read the Bible? Because I want to know what the enemy's doing. I want to be aware of what's happening in my culture, and I don't want to be a part of it because the Bible says, come out from among them. Don't be a part of what they're doing. But what they did at Babylon, if you look at the ancient Jewish writings, and I'm going to tie this in with the Humanist Manifesto, but if you look at Babylon... The ancient Jewish writers said it wasn't just that they wanted a tower to look into the heavens or reach the heavens. It says that they rebelled to such a degree that they were looking to build a tower higher than what the water elevated to in the flood of Noah. They were actually building a tower to overcome any judgment that God might bring upon them. They decided they were going to save themselves because God could not save them. They became their own saviors. They made their own religion. They turned men into gods. And they were the false religion that ruled the world. And the Bible says 
that the world will drink of their sorceries. The Bible says the world will drink of their false religion. The Bible says that there will be religions that will come that will make a way to God that bypasses the cross, bypasses Jesus Christ, bypasses the God and the creator of heaven and earth. And the Bible says that at um, the Tower of Babel, their, their cry was, we must save ourselves. And under Nimrod, they found a savior. And so listen to this preamble highlights of this meeting of the humanists. It says, humanists still believe that traditional theism, especially faith in a prayer-hearing God, assumed to live and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and be able to do something about them is unproved and outmolded. Faith, salvationism, based on mere affirmation, still appears as harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven, Hereafter, reasonable minds look to other means of survival. You say, Chad, why would you read that in church? The reason I'm reading that in church is because there's a group of intellectuals in this world called globalists, and they're saying the same things, and they've dedicated themselves to accomplishing what's in this manifesto. The next line from the preface still says, We affirm a set of common principles that can serve as a basis for unified action, united action. Possible principles relevant to the present human condition. They're designed for a secular society on a planetary scale. For these reasons, we submit to the new humanist manifesto, manifesto for the future of humankind. For us, it is a vision of hope, a direction for satisfying survival. They start off in the area of religion. It says, but we can discover no divine purpose or providence for the human species. Hear that. We see no purpose or providence for the human species. While there is much that we do not know, humans are responsible for what we are or will become. Listen to this. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Church, can I tell you that is the spirit of Antichrist. That's the spirit of the world. That's the intellectual cry that God will not save us. We must save ourselves. Now, I'm probably going to bore you here, but I'm going to go through several areas of this manifesto. This is what they hope to change over the next 50 years. This is 1973, remember. And you tell me if they were successful in accomplishing their goals. In the area of eternity and the afterlife, they say, Promises of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are both illusions and harmful. They distract humans from present concerns, from self-actualization, from rectifying social injustice. Rather, science affirms the human species an emergence from natural evolutionary forces. As far as we know, the total personality is a function of biological organism transacting in social and cultural contexts. There's no credible evidence that the life survives the death of the body. We continue to exist in our progeny and in the way that our lives have influenced others in our culture. Do you understand what they're saying? Last week, I talked about the song by John Lennon, Imagine. It wasn't just a song. It was a cry of the humanist that we can live without God. We can live without God's rules. We can live without his heaven. We can live without his hell. We can live without religions. We can live without anything that talks about God. We must save ourselves is the cry of the Antichrist. 
And so as it goes on, they go in the area of ethics. We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics are autonomous and situational, needing no theological or ideological sanction. The reason I'm reading this is because the spirit of Antichrist is permeating our culture, permeating our nation, and as long as we are here, this should not stand. When we are gone and the church is raptured from this earth, the enemy will have a greater opportunity to function, but this should not stand in our society. They believe that ethics and morals are derived from experience and shouldn't have to be sanctioned by theological or ideological ways. Number five, or number four, they say science is king. Reason and intelligence are our most effective instruments that humankind possesses. There's no substitute, neither faith nor passion will suffice. You hear that? Science is king according to the humanist manifesto. Number four, the individual. The preciousness and dignity of the individual person is a central humanist value. Individuals should be encouraged to realize their own creative talents and desires. We reject all religious, ideological, and moral codes that denigrate the individual, suppress our freedom, dull our intellect, dehumanize our personality. We believe in maximum individual autonomy consonant with social responsibility. You see, it's a world without God. Goes on. Sexual conduct. This is what they pledged in 1973. The right to birth control, abortion, and divorce should be recognized. We do not wish to prohibit by law or social sanction sexual behavior between consenting adults. The many varieties of sexual exploration should not in themselves be considered evil. A civilized society should be a tolerant one. Short of harming others or compelling them to do likewise, individuals should be permitted to express their sexual proclivities and pursue their lifestyles as they desire. That was in 1973. Now you wonder, why would YouTube not allow me to read a scripture that says you are not to fornicate, you're not to commit adultery, you're not to have homosexual activity, because it completely flies in the face of globalism and the the agenda that they have for this world to have a world, listen to me, a world without God. And if you're following and buying into these ideals, you're buying into a system of the Antichrist that is the beast and is the coming kingdom that's coming on this earth. Good news is it won't last very long. His kingdom doesn't last very long. It's only permitted for a moment. He's not very good at what he does. Seven, the right to die. They want to promote the individual's right to die with dignity, euthanasia, and the right to suicide. You understand, they want to have the right to humanely kill people. Skipping to number 12, we deplore the divisions of humankind on nationalistic grounds. They don't want nations. They don't want separation of nations. In fact, I'll tell you this, and you can believe me if you want. This isn't political. I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. But this last election was globalist versus nationalist. The Clinton Foundation are globalists to the core. And the president that is currently there is not a globalist and opposes everything the globalists stand for. And that's why they hate him. And I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. 
but that was a globalist versus a nationalist. It says, we deplore the division of humankind on nationalistic grounds. We have reached a turning point in human history where the best option is to transcend the limits of national sovereignty and move toward the building of a world community which all sectors of the human family participate. Thus, we look to the development of a system of world law and a world order based on transnational federal government. You understand, 1973, they were planning a one-world government. Goes on. The name of peace, number 13. It is a planetary, that means global, imperative to reduce the level of military expenditures and turn these savings to peaceful and people-oriented uses. Remember the cry of the Antichrist in the Bible is, when he cries, peace, peace, beware. That's what the Bible says, not me. When they cry, peace, peace, beware. Number 14, save the environment will be the cry. The world community must engage in cooperative planning concerning the use of rapidly depleting resources. Planet Earth must be considered a single ecosystem. Ecological damage, resource depletion, excessive population growth must be checked by international concord. The cultivation and conservation of nature is a moral value. We should perceive ourselves as integral as the source of our being in nature. We must free our world from needless pollution and waste, responsibly guarding and creating wealth, both natural and human, exploitation of natural resources, uncurbed by social sciences must end. You say, well, what's wrong with that? They're helping with the environment. What's wrong with that is what they want to do is control all the wealth, the food, the water, travel, everything in the world in the name of conserving the natural resources. And this is a key component of the end-time beast Uh, Antichrist program because this is how they will gain control of the entire world. In fact, they have many writings that detail that we need a cause that will unite everybody together. And that cause that will unite everybody together is environmental. Everybody has to have a cause that unites us all together to work together. And that cause, uh, we we will falsely make the environment in order to gather everybody together. And I'm not making that up. Those writings are there to be read, just like Adolf Hitler's autobiography was there to be read. And as I go on, in fact, I will stop there. And I will go on to the next line. Symbol of his kingdom is the scarlet beast that rises up out of the sea. He's given power by Satan in Revelation 13.1, and ten kings are reduced to seven. There are ten kings initially, three uh, will not give their authority to the beast, and so he overcomes three, and there ends up being seven. So that's why there are ten horns and there are seven heads, because three are eaten up by the beast because they're not obedient to him. And you say, well, man, how could that happen in our society? Well, listen to this statement from David Rockefeller. It comes right out of his memoirs book on page 405. Listen to what he says. He says, for more than a century, ideological extremists, that's the conspiracy theorists, right, have stated upon well-publicized incidents, they have seized upon well-publicized incidents to attack the Rockefeller family for the inordinate influence that they claim we wield over American political and economic institutions. 
Some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists or globalists, and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. Now listen to what he says. One world, if you will. If that is the charge, I stand guilty, and I am proud of it. Did you hear that? He didn't deny it. He says, I stand guilty, and I am not only guilty, I am proud of it as a globalist. And so you begin to look in one that's very fascinating, and I'm not saying this is how the ten kingdoms will transpire, but I'm telling you the foundation is there right now. There is a group of um, men, they're former heads of state, they're industrialists, they're very wealthy men of the world. They gathered together in 1968 and they called themselves the Club of Rome. And this organization, the Club of Rome, was given the responsibility of separating the world into ten regions. And so they separated the world. Uh, North America would have been uh, what basically the NAFTA agreement is. It would be Mexico, it would be the United States, it would be Canada. Section 2 is a different region of the world. Section 3, and this is how they were going to combat uh, all the abuses to the environment. This is how they were going to uh, get rid of nuclear weapons. This is how they were going to build the economies in every nation in that region. And what they built is 10 different economies separated into 10 nations. And the goal was, they actually called it the 10 kingdoms. And the goal was to have a leader over each kingdom and different economic and banking centers addressing all of the things that we need to do to save the world. And you say, well, what what is the big deal of the Club of Rome in 1968? Well, the Club of Rome's ideas on their seven strategic areas that they need to correct. In fact, they had an MIT um, supercomputer plug in all of the things that we did in this world as far as our consumption of resources. Uh, they had seven different areas that they plugged into the computer. And the computer, who now everybody agrees was very erroneous and, and, the, and the study was a terrible study on the computers, punched out that our resources would dry up in, in, in 2020. 2020 to 2050, uh, we would be on the brink of destruction because everything would dry up. And you say, well, man, how do the globalists and the environmentalists keep saying that our environment is going to be destroyed in a matter of a few years? Much of it was founded in the Club of Rome in 1968 in this MIT study. And it continued, and you say, well, what's the big deal with the Club of Rome? Because the United Nations adopted their 10 economic region um, uh, policies and ideas, and they instituted it in the, into their uh, Millennial Economic Development Plan. So they began to try to work together to accomplish all the goals of the Club of Rome through 10 economic regions. And you say, well, man, why is that a big deal? That's a big deal because the beast that we see in Revelation chapter 13 that's rising and in 17 and 18 that is eventually destroyed is the head of 10 kingdoms. And the 10 kingdoms are not all obedient, three are disobedient, and he takes over those three kingdoms and he becomes the king over ten kingdoms through seven kings and leaders of those areas. And so what God is showing us is there are signs that this could be implemented today. Another area, and I could go for a very long time 
on this study of the beast and the Antichrist system. But one thing I want to point to your attention today is there's a thing um, in chapter 17 and 18 and 13 when it talks about the beast, that there is a mark of the beast. And the Bible says that um, when the beast is finally released into the world to dominate the entire world, it says that there will be a mark of the beast. And it used to be 20 years ago, we preached about the mark of the beast, and we had to have a um, few stories here and there that people say, well, I don't know about that story. I don't know about if that's even possible. Some people said tattoos or this or that. Now you don't have to be a preacher of the gospel to recognize. Everybody recognizes that technology is there. And if you were not a Christian, you would accept it open with open arms. Because that technology, that global tracking that they're talking about for vaccines, it's going to make your life better. It's going to allow you to have your temperature immediately taken. It's going to tell you every person you are around and how you need to be quarantined, whether you've had it, whether you've not had it. If you have a child, it's going to be like your pet. You can't lose your pet because he's got a chip in him. You can't lose your child because as soon as they're abducted, they'll immediately be found because of the chip that's in them. You won't be able to commit a crime because if you commit a burglary, they know who committed the burglary because he has a chip in him. They know who committed a murder because both had chips in them. And, and I'm telling you today, if you're listening to this message, don't be naive. People in the church recognize and they will not submit to this. In fact, they're a restraint that doesn't allow the Antichrist to implement this system. There's so many Christians in the world that know the Word of God that this system cannot be implemented fully. And so that brings me to my next point. There's only one thing in this world that's restraining this kingdom from being established on this earth. The Bible says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That means they won't win as long as we're here. The church. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Church, we are that restrainer. It's the Holy Spirit in us that is restraining the Antichrist. The Antichrist cannot establish his world government until we're gone. We're always in the way. Us in government, us in the nations, us in the people, we are a restraint that he cannot win as long as the church there. But did you notice in Revelation 13.7, Revelation 13.7 says this, and I read it earlier. It says, He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over tribe, people, language, and nation. The inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose name are not written in the book of life. Did you notice the saints that are on the earth, he's able to conquer them. But Jesus said the church will always conquer the gates of hell. How do you mix those two together? The reason it says that is because the church will be gone. They're unconquerable 
They're unbeatable. There's no way, as long as we're here because we pray for the world that we're in, because the righteous are present, uh, the system cannot be established until we're gone. In church, there is a signless event that is going to happen as sure as I'm here, and it's the rapture of the church. And if you're not ready for the rapture of the church, it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to be signless. It's going to be instantaneous. If you're not ready, you're going to find yourself in a world where this beast, this Antichrist system, is able to conquer the saints. And at that time, it will be the testimony and the blood of your testimony that you'll be saved in that day. And so the beast system is a very short window of history. The beast kingdom doesn't last very long. It's a seven-year tribulation period, and it's especially successful in a a three-and-a-half-year period. And then when Jesus Christ, it says the Lamb, shows up, there is a battle. Those who were raptured will be with Him. Those who um, um, will be with Him and the Lamb will make war with what the Bible says, this world system, this Antichrist will make war with the Lamb. And church, that war doesn't last very long. Jesus Christ instantly wins the battle because it was all pre-planned. He was expected to win. It was going to be an easy battle for him. And then Jesus Christ will set up his kingdom on this earth and no wicked. Remember, the righteous weren't allowed in the Antichrist kingdom. They were censored. They were persecuted. Their words were considered harmful to society. The righteous were not allowed in the Antichrist system. But when Jesus Christ comes and defeats the Antichrist, it'll be flipped. Now the wicked won't be allowed into his kingdom. And it will be a thousand year reign on this earth that Jesus will reign. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, this message is informative, Lord God, because you said if we have an ear, we should hear. And Lord, I just pray that the church those who are not a part of the church, those who are far off that aren't even a part of our church, uh, those who may hear this years down the road, Lord God, during the rapture and the tribulation, Lord. Lord, I pray that they would take this to heart, Lord God, that they would get serious about their walk with you, Lord God. They would get serious about their study of the word. They would get serious about coming out from among this system of ungodly people who said we can save ourselves. We don't need God. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength and the courage to do what's right in this hour, Lord God. And I pray that your church would live with confidence. Your church would be excited, Lord. Your church would be thrilled to know that they are on the winning side, Lord, of eternity. Lord, we pray these things in your name. And right now, before we leave, I just want to ask you, which side are you on? You can't be on both sides. You can't say that I agree with the values of the world and God's wrong in that area and say I'm still with God. And so you can't ride the fence. You've got to be one or the other. You're either with the Lord or you're against the Lord. And today, I just want to ask you, where is your heart? It could happen at any moment. This uh, new... Kingdom of the Antichrist could be ushered in at any moment and then there's no turning back. It'll be suddenly, without notice, will be hurled into this tribulation. And, and today I want to make sure you're right with the Lord. And if you're not, 
right with the Lord, I want you to pray this prayer with us today. Bow your head. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I come before you, Lord. Lord, I see your plan and your purpose for this world, Lord. And I don't want to be on the side of the enemy, Lord God. I want to be on your side. Lord, nobody ever loved me like you did, Lord. Nobody ever gave his life for me, Lord God. And today I submit my life to you, Lord. Lord, I give myself to you completely, Lord God. Lord, whatever you say, I believe, Lord God. I trust you in all things today, Lord God. No matter what happens, Lord. Lord, I'll never let go of you, Lord God. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, I ask you to wash me, Lord God. Lord, there's no sin on this earth that I can't repent of, and you can't wash me, Lord God, and approve of me and change me, Lord. Like 1 Corinthians 6, 6, 9, and 10. There's no sin, Lord God, in that list that you will not wash me of, Lord. There's no sin there that you won't forgive me of, Lord. There's no sin there that you won't help me battle through, Lord. And I just pray today, Lord God, I submit myself to you, Lord. Lord, I submit all my weaknesses, shortcomings, sins, Lord. I give them to you, Lord. I lay them down. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. You said if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness and cleanse me. And Lord, I ask you to do that for me today. And I thank you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.